0: Well, we have uh, we have quite a text uh, before us this morning. As I said, we made it to John chapter nine, and this is the story of a man born blind, and and then healed. It's the sixth, and really the ultimate sign that John records demonstrating Jesus' messiahship, which is kind of the uh, the purpose of his book that he records in. Chapter 20, that he's, he's written these things that we may know that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the Messiah. And, uh, and this is an incredible story at, at a lot of levels. This story has it all. It has drama, irony, hatred, humor, healing, judgment, dirt, saliva. It's all mixed together in this story. And on top of that, this story <clears throat> teaches us absolute truth. It, 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 truth that we can, we can live by, that we can grow in. So it really doesn't get any better. Now last week, as we finished off the text of chapter 8, uh, Jesus was claiming in no uncertain terms to be God. He said, I am. I, quoting, right, from the Old Testament, That that, that title of God, I am the great I am. And and the Jews' response to him at that point was to to try and kill him. You see the last verse of the text of chapter 8. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. They wanted to kill him. They refused to see Jesus for who he really is. Despite all the evidence, all the miracles that he had done right in front of their eyes, his incredible divine teaching, they deny him. They say he must have a demon. And so it says he hid himself from the ideas that they couldn't see him suddenly. They are blind to who he is. It's a moment of judgment as he walks away. They reject Jesus. They reject Jesus. They reject Jesus. They reject Jesus. And suddenly they can see him no more. And he walks away. And as we enter our text, Jesus has left the temple, or he's heading out of the temple. He's walking away. And uh, look who he comes across. Verse 1, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Hmm, a blind man who can't see him. And it says that he was blind from birth. That is to say, he's, he's profoundly blind. You see, there's lots of different degrees of blindness. But generally, when you're blind from birth... Uh, you really can't see it all. Sometimes when you're blind, you can see a little bit, especially if it's come in your life and kind of onset, but you probably can't see it all, and it's probably not going to get better if you're blind from birth. It's kind of no hope, incurable blindness. So here is this man, most likely sitting there as a beggar at the temple gate. This is the only kind of thing he could do in his culture, the only work, in a sense, that he could do to try to survive. And Jesus must have slowed down and looked at this man because the disciples ask a question. Look at verse 2. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? It's uh, It's the karma question, isn't it? Whose, whose fault is this? Is his condition retribution for the sins of his parents or some sin of his own and maybe a, a previous life? Ideas of reincarnation were very prevalent at that time. They even were prevalent in Judaism. Now, it's clear that in Scripture, uh, we're told that, yeah, sinful actions can bring terrible consequences in our lives or in the lives of others. I could, I could go out and, and, and get drunk and drive a car and run into a tree and hurt myself or hurt somebody else. That can happen. And, and God can even bring judgment for our sins. But Jesus doesn't go there with any of this. Look at what he says in verse 3. Look at his, his answer. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him. The reason for this man's condition, his blindness, is simple and it's theological. It's so that the works of God might be displayed in him, in and through his life. That's a key statement to understand this text. It's telling us what this text is about. This text is teaching us, as we observe this man and his blindness, it's telling us about the very ways of God, the very workings of God, especially as he interacts with Jesus. It tells us about what God is doing and how he works in this world, and it demonstrates who he is through this man's situation. So the question is, how so? How is it doing that? What is it showing us about God and his ways? And I think there are three main things. There's probably a lot more than that. But I picked out three things that are displayed here about God's work and his ways. And uh, I'll just state them, and then we'll work through them as kind of the points of the sermon. First of all, this story shows us That God in his workings is Lord over hard times or hard things in our life. That's point one. Secondly, it shows us that he is Lord over hard hearts. And third, it shows us that he is a Lord of hard love. Okay, so let's start with God is Lord over hard things in life. At a very basic level, what we need to notice here is that this lifelong hard situation for this man, his blindness, is clearly no accident. God has not only allowed it in his life, but he is using it for his purposes, his work. It's God-ordained hardship and suffering for this guy. And that sounds like, just pretty blatant and tough and unfair, right? But it's actually good news. It's actually very encouraging. Many of you, uh, you guys know that my, uh, my oldest daughter, Amanda, is blind. She was born blind. She was blind from birth, like this man. Many of you watched her grow up here at the church and saw her with her cane, and eventually with her guide dog, and coming up here on stage with her dog, Durwood, when she would sing with the, with the group. Now, when she was born, it was really, really tough. Her mom was not in a good marriage at the time, so she was kind of alone in parenting. And she had this new, precious Baby, And when she showed up for a postnatal check-in, she was told that her her baby was blind and probably brain-damaged, and everything changed. At that moment, Tricia knew that the rest of her life was going to involve struggle that she couldn't even get her mind around, and even harder suffering for her precious little daughter. Now, the medical explanation for Amanda's blindness is called toxoplasmosis. It's an opportunistic parasite that was in Trisha's blood. She didn't know it. That will attack a fetus, usually causing brain damage. In this case, it attacked the front and the optic nerves, pretty much eating those away. That was the official diagnosis, the medical explanation for Amanda's blindness. But the real reason that we learn from this text is God. See, when Trisha and I sat down with Amanda as a little girl to explain to her why she couldn't see like the other kids, we didn't give her the secular explanation. We didn't say, well, Amanda... Uh, I guess in a world of evolutionary accidentalism and random chance, unfortunately, you got the short end of the stick. Tough break. There's really no reason. You just got you got shafted. Sorry. And we didn't go with the uh, kind of mystical, spiritualized cop out either. We didn't say, "Well, Amanda, uh, it could have been." could have something to do with, you know, our past lives, you know, a kind of a a cosmic payback. It it could be because of something your mom or I did, but, you know, actually I think we lived pretty good lives, so it's probably because of something you did in one of your past lives. So I guess you kind of deserve it. But hey, maybe things will be better next time around. No, we didn't say any of that garbage. We have the wonderful privilege of saying, Amanda, in this sinful world that's broken and messed up by all our sin, lots of hard things happen to people. But God, he's still at work. He is at work redeeming all of it. And he's allowed this in your life to achieve His eternal good purposes. Your struggles and pain are not random, pointless, bad luck. They are divinely appointed for things greater than all of us. The wonderful, redeeming work of God. And and, and someday, we will go to heaven and we will see it. We'll see her with her big, beautiful eyes. And she will see, she will see what God has done through her blindness. And we all rejoice in it. Yes, it's hard now, but God isn't wasting any of it. And my friends, that is true for all of us. Even the worst of things in our lives, God is at work through them for his saving purposes. C.S. Lewis says in his book, The Problem of Pain, that God uses suffering in three ways in people's lives. One is constructive, that he, that he shapes and builds us into his likeness through these things. One is corrective, as he, as he brings back strange sheep. And the other is demonstrative, as he shows his grace and glory. And I think God has probably used, done all of these things through this man's life that we're reading about, this blind man here. He's probably showed all of these in his life. But ultimately, it seems to be for this moment. Right here, this moment as Jesus, the light of the world, shows up and comes and anoints his eyes. In this moment. God is physically demonstrating his grace and his glorious power of restoration before this man, before his disciples, before all watching in a way they will never forget as he restores this man's sight to, to full bright-eyed 2020 vision. Think about this healing just Just at the physical level for a moment, how incredible it is and what it demonstrates about Jesus. In uh, in raising Amanda and taking her to to many, many eye doctor appointments, Trish and I had learned a lot about about the eye. And let me tell you, uh, it's fairly complex. It's got about a billion things going on. The limbs and the cornea are the easiest parts of it. We can even fix those. But the retina and the optic nerve are crazy complex. Millions of nerves involved. One doctor in Seattle, when we were kind of asking about, you know, there's all this stuff going on with uh, advancements with eyes. And we're like, you know, maybe in her lifetime there'd be some kind of eye transplant or something. And he said, well when we're able to do a brain transplant, we can probably do an eye transplant. (laughs) But let me say, modern medicine has been working hard at solving blindness. It's been all kinds of amazing research. You can go on and read about or go on YouTube and learn about, of course. You know, they developed, one guy's working on these glasses, like the Star Trek glasses, where you can put them on and see when you're blind. They actually send digital information that bypasses the eye straight to a little implant on the optic nerve. and They're actually having some success where the brain is translating this information into some kind of sight. One guy's actually making a bionic eye, an eye with a camera in it, and it sends the digital information. All this stuff they're doing that's amazing to read about. And think of the accolades they will receive... When they finally achieve it, true sight for the profoundly blind. I mean, world acclaim, every prize out there that those doctors will get. There could be no higher glory, probably, in the medical world. Maybe, maybe uh, you know, curing cancer. Yet here we have Jesus, and what are his technologies? Let's read about him in verse 6. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. And then he opened the man's eyes with the mud. No research, no medical trials, no lasers. No robotic surgeries, no digital implants. Jesus just makes it happen out of dirt. Reminds me of our our creator making us out of dust. And it's such a full and stunning restoration. People can hardly believe it. Look at verse 8. The neighbor's... And those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and bake? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I'm the man. So they said to him, Then how are your eyes open? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. It's such a stunning change, they can hardly recognize him. It can't be him. Because he's here, standing before us, looking at us, not with shrunken, dark, ocular cavities, but big, beautiful, bright eyes, looking right back at them, twinkling with joy and life. It's so unbelievable that the Jewish leaders keep interrogating the people to get them to say that it didn't really happen. They just can't accept it. But the problem is the man who used to sit and beg, the one everybody knew, notice how it says the neighbors, the people that knew him, they grew up with him there. He's right in front of them saying, it's me, it's really me, I can see. Wow. Is this an incredible display of God's works, his ways? Is is this an incredible display of what he does? Yes, it is. This is our God. This is Jesus, the creator, sustainer, and healer of this world, doing his thing, restoring brokenness, fixing blind eyes, fixing broken bodies, the the healer of the universe at work. And he deserves all the accolades, doesn't he? All the glory. All the worship. But you know, as stunning as the physical healing here is, it's really just a footnote of God's greater work here, which has to do with the heart. You see, Jesus... Demonstrates in this event, in this event, his lordship not just over hard things like like physical blindness, but his lordship over hard hearts. There are two groups of people here with hard hearts. The first is the blind man himself. Yes, even he has a hard heart towards God. You see, when the Jews accuse him in verse 34 of being born in utter sin. They they speak truer than they know, don't they? Yes, they meant to single him out as distinct from others, especially themselves, you know, because of his blindness he must have sinned in some way, but the Bible says no, he's born in utter sin like all of us. We're all born sinners our very nature and so when Jesus approaches this man he knows that his physical blindness is nothing compared to the darkness of his heart that his real need is ultimately spiritual sight his real need is to see as God his real need is to recognize Jesus for who he is his real need is that the eyes of his darkened heart be enlightened Not only does he not physically see, he doesn't see spiritually like all of us. Now, of course, this is all true of the second group we see here, that being the Jewish religious leaders. Not only do they not recognize Jesus for who he is, they hate him. They want to kill him. And according to verse 22, they are persecuting anyone who claims that he is the Christ. They will kick him out of the synagogue. But the thing this blind guy, but but the thing we need to realize is that this blind guy has a real advantage spiritually over these religious leaders. Do you know what it is? He can't see. He physically can't see, and he knows it. He knows he can't see. God has allowed a devastating handicap in his life and has been using it to prepare his soul for this moment. Sitting at the temple, begging day after day, year after year, being considered cursed because of his supposed sin, being an outcast, being totally dependent on others, Has not left this guy with a lot of pride, has it? It hasn't left him with a lot of uh, religious arrogance as to his status and abilities like these religious leaders. This guy doesn't think he sees in any way. He knows he is broken. He seems to be very humble. I think he's the definition of poor in spirit. God has been preparing the eyes of his heart for true sight. So that when Jesus does this this mud miracle healing, his eyes, it's really just the beginning of of a progressive spiritual enlightenment far more glorious than him seeing the trees and the sky. He, He comes to see his Savior. And did you notice in this text the the kind of gradual progression of his sight? Look at verse uh, 10 and 11, just after he is healed. As he's still reeling, uh, his neighbors, who weren't sure that it was him, say, look at verse 10 and 11. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said, Go to Siloam and wash. He identifies Jesus, he just says, you know, the the man called Jesus, that guy. But then after some interrogating by the Jews where he had to recount what happened, we see this in, in verse 17. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. Then as they push him further, his, his eyes really begin to open. Look at verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do? Did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, "I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples?" Now he's identifying himself as a disciple and kind of turning it back on them. And then, as this conversation kind of comes to a close, and they're so mad at him that they're going to kick him out of the temple. This is what he says in verse 32. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He sees that Jesus, he's, he's from God. He's moved from a man called Jesus to a, to a, to a prophet. To the man from God, and then finally, verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and found, having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man, that divine title? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe And he worshiped him. He believes and worships Jesus as Lord. Here is the true, great, eye opening miracle of the story. This man, blind from birth, in every way, sees God. This is the sight that matters. This is the sight that sees past the grave into eternity. This is the sight of real hope, the sight of life. And it is this kind of sight, spiritual eyes made wide open with heart given over, that really displays the work of God here, what he does. He's the Lord of over hard times, but he's more than that, the Lord over hard hearts. He can open hearts the most rebellious hearts, the most darkened of eyes to receive him. But I think we need to point out at this point that uh, Jesus' lordship over hard hearts is not always to open and save them. It's also sometimes to judge them. You see, there's another group of uh, people here with perfectly good physical eyes. In fact, they've watched Jesus, they've seen him heal many people, invalids, cripples, even raise the dead. They've seen him feed 5,000 out of nothing, and they've just witnessed him give this lifelong blind man sight, and all they can see is a lawbreaker, a sinner. They even in the last chapter called him, as we pointed out, demonic, demonic. They think they already see spiritually and they already have divine insight and they are rejecting Jesus continually. And look what Jesus says to them. Look at the last few verses. Look at verse 39. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. They think they see. They have no humility, no poverty of spirit. They will not recognize their Savior right in front of them. So their guilt remains. And he lords over their hearts in judgment, again displaying the ways of God. Now there's one one last way that we see the work of God displayed here. You see, this event taken as a whole is also a living parable that demonstrates that God is the Lord of hard love. He's not only the Lord over hard times or the Lord over hard hearts, but he is a Lord of hard love. And what I mean by that is the cross. This whole event shows us what Jesus has come to do at the cross. Let's take a look at it again with kind of wider spiritual eyes. Here we have a blind beggar a man whose condition is beyond the help of man he could do nothing to heal himself a living picture of every natural man's spiritual condition and jesus comes to him and he doesn't just say be healed open your eyes see which he could have done instead he does something really strange he, he spits on the ground, and he makes some mud out of his spit and dirt and begins to smear it in this guy's eyes. Why does he do that? Well, what would you be thinking if you were watching the scene? You'd probably be thinking something like, gross. I mean, that's, that's just, that's Gross. And these emaciated eyes and he's sticking mud and spitting. What's he doing? It's gross. It's wrong. And it is. In fact, in their Jewish culture, such things were considered contaminants that leave a person ceremonially unclean. Read Leviticus 15.8. It leaves no doubt about saliva. That'll make you unclean like that. So Jesus has just... Added to this picture, hasn't he? This guy's eyes are now blind eyes full of contamination. Do you see the spiritual picture? Why can't we see God? Why are we spiritually in the dark? Because our eyes are full of the pollution and uncleanness of our sins. So this man, as, as he wanders down, because Jesus tells him to go down to the pool of Siloam. Picture that man, right? He's, he's just stuck all the mud and everything in his eyes. It's dripping down and he says, go down to the pool and, and wash. Imagine that scene as he's staggering down. I'm sure he had a stick. That's not a new technology, right? So the stick. Total darkness trying to find his way. Here is a picture of every sinner outside of Jesus. But here's the thing that we must not miss. And John goes out of his way to make sure that we don't. Look at verse 7. This is Jesus speaking. When he anointed the man's eyes was muddied, and he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. John tells us that. If you notice throughout his book, when he really wants us to know something, he puts a little parenthesis. Oh, by the way, this is what it means. So he went and washed and came back seen. He tells us the name of the pool, what it means, that it means sent. We need to know this to get it. Now that may not seem very significant if you're just you know, reading this part of the book. But if you've been reading through this book in one sitting, this will jump off the page at you. Because Jesus has referred to himself as the sent one, or the one sent from God over 30 times. This is a 21-chapter book. So the picture is, is kind of completed here. Where... Do you get washed clean of the sinful contamination that has darkened your spiritual eyes, your soul, and left you helpless and broken? You must go to the sent one, the one who was sent to die on the cross and take all your sin upon him, all your contamination, and wash you clean that you may see the light. Of God, that you may see the light of life, the light of the world, the light of salvation and worship. See, today, if you're not a believer, you can come. You can come to the sent one. You can come out of the dark. Jesus can deliver you from the dark hopelessness of this world and bring you into the light of life. If you will trust him as Lord, if you recognize that he is the Lord over your hard heart, the Lord over all your hard times, the Lord of your life, if you do this, you can today (coughs) say, I was blind, but now I see. It's a testimony of every Christian here. And as believers, Today, When it comes to kind of applying this, I want us uh, to remind us of one word in this text. Sort of out of place, you'll notice it. It's in verse 3 and 4. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. We must be about, we, speaking to his disciples, he's speaking to us, we must be about the works of God while there is still time. Yes, this was said to his disciples First, but this side of the cross, it is a timeless principle for every Christian. Are we displaying the works of God in our life? When the world looks at you and listens to you, do they see that Jesus is Lord over your hard things? When things are bad and tough times come, do you live like you know the Lord who's in control? Do you lean on him and trust him? Or do you freak out like it's all random and out of control and act like the rest of the world? We must show with our actions that our God is working in all of it, his good purposes. People need to know this because the time is short, the night is coming. And do people see that Jesus is Lord over your hard heart? Do you strive to daily submit your will, your pride, your stubborn hearts to Him? Do people see in you the humility and joy of a blind man given sight? Nothing will display God's work in your life like a soft heart before Him. And finally, Do your words and actions display the hard love of God? Do they point people to the cross? Does your life point people to the place where they can be washed and come into the light? Does it point people to the cross, to Jesus? It must. This is our work. And the night is coming. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that, you that you don't just teach us in black and white statements, but you show us these truths worked out in people's lives. We thank you that this, this man... And his situation was to display your glory and your grace to us. That our eyes may be opened. That we may come to see you. That we may be washed clean. And come and worship. pray these things in your son's name.